enemy's greatest lie is that turning your back on God is the key to freedom. In reality, it only leads to discouragement, depravity, and death. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals how this principle played out in the life and death of King Saul. From his series on David, The Tender Warrior, here's Dr. Jeremiah to introduce the powerful conclusion of his message, Saul's Suicide. What would cause a man who had so much power and so much prestige and so much leadership and so much history to take his own life? The truth is coming out as we study this event in the life of David, Saul's suicide, his enemy takes his own life. We'll get to it in a moment as we finish up this section. Uh, Tomorrow will be part one of a eulogy for an enemy as we hear David's words of love and loyalty to Saul, his predecessor. We have a study guide series that takes you through the life of David. Two study guides, The Tender Warrior, Volume 1, The Tender Warrior, Volume 2. These study guides are coordinated with the CD packages. You can get all of this from davidjeremiah.org. And also, during this month, we're making available a very special book by Tara Lee Cobble called The God Shot, featuring devotionals on the attributes of God, 100 daily devotional readings uh, from the New Testament on the attributes of God. You can read these uh, little lessons in about a minute and a half or two minutes, but the thoughts will stay with you all day. And we want you to have this to encourage you and strengthen your life. It's our way of adding value to you as a follower of Christ. When you send your gift during the month of July, ask for the God shot, and it will be on its way to you before you know it. Well, here we go with part two of Saul's suicide. This is truly the end of his story. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verses 8 through 16, there is the story of Saul's disregard for the prophet Samuel. Samuel had told Saul to go to Gilgal and to wait there for seven days. And Samuel said, I will come and present sacrifices and offerings to the Lord in advance of your going out against the Philistines. It was the custom never to go to war against a foreign nation before seeking the face of God with sacrifices and offerings and worship unto him. Saul went to Gilgal and he waited the seven days and Samuel didn't come. Saul was impatient, impetuous. He knew the Philistines were gathering. He knew that the war clouds were there. He was afraid that the Philistines would march against him before he had an opportunity for Samuel to come and make sacrifice to God. And so Saul, in a belligerent move, and in one which, according to the Old Testament law, defies the most sensitive spirit, Saul took it upon himself to become the prophet and priest, and he offered the sacrifice to God. And when Samuel came and he met Saul, Samuel said, Saul, what have you done? You have taken into your own hands that which is not rightfully yours. He has not walked far before we come to the 15th chapter. And we touched upon that when we were in our earlier messages on the life of David. In the 15th chapter, beginning in the second and third verse, we have a command, a direct command from the Lord. 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. I know we have trouble with these imprecatory passages in the Bible where God tells one of his servants to go and annihilate a whole people. But that was God's way of maintaining the purity of the Jewish line, and it was God's instruction. And it wasn't man's instruction, it was God's. Saul did not have to have anybody to interpret God's command. He could understand what God asked him to do just as easily as you and I can understand it by reading it in the text today. But look, if you will, in the ninth verse and notice what Saul did. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed that utterly. And you know the rest of the story that Saul will ultimately try to use as an excuse that he kept all of the lambs and the sheep so they could use them to sacrifice to God. And when he finally met Samuel the prophet that day, Samuel said, did you do what God told you to do? And Saul said, yes, it's all done. We've done everything God told us to do. And Samuel said, if that's true, why do I hear the sheep baying in the background? What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep? And then Saul, in an act of cowardice, says, well, we were going to do that. I was going to kill all the people and kill all the sheep, but the people didn't want me to, so I acquiesced to them. And finally, Samuel points his finger at King Saul and pronounces God's judgment upon him in verse 22 of the 15th chapter. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You see what Saul was doing now? He was disobeying God and using religious reasons to justify it. How often that happens today. So he has disregarded God's prophet and he has disobeyed God's purposes. And now thirdly, we come to the 22nd chapter in this ongoing tale of Saul. And we discover thirdly that he destroys God's priests. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Here we run into this fellow named Dog, D-O-E-G, who reported that the priest in this certain village had been supportive of David, who was Saul's enemy. When Saul heard that, he was infuriated. And he brought the people together and he called in this man, Dog. And we read in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, the king said to Dog, turn now and fall upon the priests. And Dog the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day four score and five, 85 persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Saul was responsible for killing 85 priests, all of the families and the entire village. He just totally destroyed it out of anger because they had acted as an accomplice to David who was running away from King Saul. So he has disregarded God's prophet. He has disobeyed God's purposes. Now he has destroyed God's priests. We were in the 28th chapter and we discovered that he went to an all-time low in his life. Confronted with the inability to get a hold of God, Saul now decides that he will consult with the spirits and the mediums and the witch of Ender. And he degraded God's person. 
He walked away from God to his arch enemy and he consulted with the devil concerning God's work. He was seeking the help of the devil himself. When we read in chapter 28 verses 7 and 8, And Saul said unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit and endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. If you would have said to Saul the day he was crowned as king of Israel, Saul, king of Israel, anointed of the Lord God, touched by the prophet Samuel, there will come a day in the not too distant future when you will be consulting with an evil witch and seeking the devil's help for your pursuits. Saul would have said, no way, it will never happen. But what the man is at the beginning of his career and what he is now at the end of his career is the result of a series of concessions that he made to the enemy along the way. First of all, not listening carefully to what the prophet said and taking the prerogative to do that which was not his out of impatience. Then only partially obeying what God told him to do with regard to the Amalekites. And then in a fit of anger destroying a whole set of God's people. And finally, we see him in the 28th chapter. He has totally destroyed everything that was worthwhile in his life. From one sin to another, Saul descended until now he is to perish by his own hand. And that brings us to chapter 31. There's not a great deal we can say to add to the record of the 31st chapter. Here is a sad and sorry tale of the end of one man's life. Notice, first of all, in verse 1, Saul's soldiers are slain. The Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. I don't think there could be anything sadder for a king and a would-be warrior, a one-time champion, than to watch his whole army be decimated and destroyed. But the scripture says that Saul's soldiers were all killed. He and his sons, at least in this moment of time, remain. But he watches while his entire unit is wiped out. Talk to some of the men who have served in the military. Ask them what it's like when they see even one of their compadres who is killed. And they will tell you it is the most devastating and dehumanizing of experiences. But Saul presided over the death of an entire army. Once again because of his own rebellion and sin. Read on in the chapter and you will notice in the second verse that not only did Saul's soldiers die, but Saul's own sons died. Verse 2 says, The Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. The record seems to indicate that their murder was perpetrated in the presence of Saul, so that he watched his own sons die. There is a story in the Old Testament about another king of Israel who fought against King Nebuchadnezzar and tried to throw off the bonds of the Babylonian captivity. And the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, chased him out into the wilderness and brought all of his sons and his key servants before him. And one by one, he killed every one of them. And then the scripture says that king took a hot poker and put the king's eyes out so that he would never again see anything after, last of all, he had seen the murder of his own family. 
Saul presided over and watched as his beloved son Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, all of them were slain. He'd lost his whole family. All of us who are parents can identify with that. Nothing that we fear inwardly more than something tragic happening to one of our children. Let them be home a bit late at night and we fear that they've been involved in some traffic mishap. All of us know what that's all about. And then to have your worst fears happen right in front of your own eyes. That's what happened to Saul. His soldiers are dead, his sons are dead, and now the scripture says Saul himself is sorely wounded. Verse 3, the archers wound Saul. And the scripture literally says he was sore wounded. Literally, it means mortally wounded. Apparently, he was hit perhaps in the abdomen and he was bleeding profusely and he knew that the wound was unto death. So he turns to his armor bearer and uh, he asks the armor bearer to help him end all of it. His reasoning is that if he does not kill him, that the uncircumcised Philistines will come and they will finish the project, but they will abuse me or they will have sport with my body. Now I want you to understand that what's going on now is, first of all, the death of the soldiers, the death of his sons, the death of Saul himself in suicide. It's the first record of a suicide in the Bible. For when the armor bearer would not take the sword and take Saul's life, the scripture says, Saul took his own sword and he fell down upon it and he died. And then you add one more tragedy to this list. Saul's servant, out of some kind of misguided loyalty or fear, decides that if Saul the king so dies, that's how he should end his life. He takes his sword and falls down upon it. Now look at the carnage of Saul's disobedience. All of his soldiers, all of his sons, his servant, and now suicide himself. No longer was Saul able to resist his enemies. He asks his sword bearer to take his life and he won't do it. And so Saul dies even as he lived. Proud, jealous, a terror to himself and a terror to everybody who was around him. Having neither fear of God nor hope in God, Saul died. By the way, there are only three other people in the Bible that I'm aware of who committed suicide. Ahithophel in 2 Samuel 17, Zimri in 1 Kings 16, and Judas the traitor in Matthew chapter 27. I ought to pause for just a moment and answer a question that often comes to me. I've had the funerals of a number of people who have taken their own lives, and quite often family members will come and say, is there any forgiveness if someone takes their own life? And I need to report that that sin is neither accorded any greater or lesser value in the economy of God than the other sins which are chronicled in the Word of God. And it is possible, I believe, for a person who has gone through some terrible stress in their life and in a moment of not thinking clearly has ended their life, that person very easily might find his place in heaven, especially because he could have given his heart to Christ in this life. And even to take one's life does not undo what God does in the inward act of salvation. But any of you who have been close to that or have been around it can testify to the fact that it is the most difficult and it is perhaps the cruelest thing that a person can do to those who are close. It leaves so many questions and hurts. And those who knew and loved Saul, having heard of his death, must have wept and mourned even as David did in the first chapter of 2 Samuel. What a tragic ending to a tragic life. And I believe I know what they wrote on his tombstone. 
I can't prove it, but it certainly is a very fitting word. You will find it in the 26th chapter of 1 Samuel. Here is the epitaph for Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse 21. Just a short little epitaph, but it summarizes Saul's life so very well. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Here is the epitaph. Behold, I have played the fool. That is what should have been written on Saul's tombstone. I have played the fool. Why? Because he had so much. God had given him so much. And he turned his back on it to walk in his own way. And his life ended in disaster instead of where it should have been in God's plan. Dr. J. Sidlow Baxter, who has written so well on many passages of the Word of God, has said, this is what it means to play the fool. And he's written some things down, and I want to share them with you. He said, a man plays the fool when he neglects his godly friends. Saul did that. A man plays the fool when he goes on enterprises for God before God has sent him. Saul did that. A man plays the fool when he disobeys God, even in seemingly small matters. Saul did that. A man plays the fool when he tries to cover up his disobedience to God by religious excuses. A man plays the fool when he tries to persuade himself that he is doing the will of God when all the while down deep inside he knows otherwise. That describes Saul. A man plays the fool when he allows some jealousy or envy to master and control and deprave him. And surely that describes Saul in his hatred of David. A man plays the fool when he knowingly fights against God. A man plays the fool when he turns from his God, the God he has grieved, and seeks an alternative in spiritism, in trafficking with the spirits in the beyond. And Saul did that. Yes, Saul played the fool. And he ended his life as he lived it. A life of waste. A life of mismanagement. A life of despair and disaster. Do you know we're living in a time when suicide is on almost an epidemic proportion? Most of us have read with great alarm the growing trend among high school young people to take their own lives. I am told uh, by a writer who published an article on suicide in the Reader's Digest that there are some 28,000 Americans who will take their own lives each year. It now accounts for 1% of all the deaths in this country. It is eighth among major causes of death. The suicide among adolescents is up 300% in the last decade. Everybody has some idea of why it's happening. Some people say it's a, oftentimes a kind of insanity. Other people say it could be a chemical imbalance. Some people say it comes from depression. Everybody's got their idea. At the close of the article in the Reader's Digest on suicide, there was a very interesting statement by obviously a man who does not know the Lord and yet has been very perceptive, and I want you to listen carefully. This is what he wrote. It boils down to finding what a person has to live for. 
Most people live for all sorts of things, and if they lose something on one front, they pick it up on another. But suicidal people are quite deficient in any capacity to keep themselves afloat on the basis of inner resources. Most people think that work with young people involves trying to keep them from killing themselves. That's not it at all. It's trying to help them find a reason to live. End of quote. Do you see what happened to Saul? He had every reason in the world to live. It was at the very center of his life. His love for God, his love for God's people, his opportunity to serve in a wonderful capacity of leadership. But Saul allowed God little by little to erode out of his life and no longer be at the center. Little by little, God was moved to the circumference and Saul became the all-important thing until ultimately God was living on the outside and Saul was hell-bent on his own agenda to do his own thing as if there were no God at all. He lived as the king of Israel but practiced as an atheist. And when he no longer had anything to live for, there was nothing left but death itself. Let me ask you a question. Is it true that we today have something to live for? as Christians, as believers, as men and women of God, as young people who know the Lord? Is it possible that in the midst of our materialistic culture, in the midst of the problems that seem to plague our society in the threat of nuclear war, that we have lost our way and have forgotten to back up a step for a moment and ask this important question, what are my resources and what do I really believe in? If you have Jesus Christ at the center of your life and you make him the master and Lord of your living, he will give you a perspective from his word that will go beyond this life and will yet make this life meaningful every day that you live. Yes, I believe the secular psychiatrist was right. We can never find a reason to keep young people from taking their lives, but we can sure explore how to give them many good reasons to live. And the best reason I know to live in all the world is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who takes the mundane and the simple things of life and glorifies them into a beautiful adventure day by day walking with the Lord. My friend, if you don't know Christ like that, you haven't found the ultimate reason for living. You may think you've found it. Maybe you're caught up in the money game or the popularity game or the prestige game or the power game. But I want to tell you something. At the end of that road, there is nothing but despair Read the accounts of the professional athletes and the movie stars and all the rest who had everything you thought you wanted and ended their lives exactly like Saul did. But then ask yourself the question, isn't there more? And yes, there is. And that more is Jesus Christ. I recommend him to you. If you don't know him, you need to meet him and accept him. If you do know him and you're walking apart from him as Saul was, you need to get back and put him in the center of your life. I can't help but think of a verse of scripture that says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm sure that what Saul did and much of what he followed he thought was right, but it was wrong and it took him to his death. And it's a sad story. Tomorrow we're going to find out that enemies don't stay enemies forever. That David, though he was hunted by Saul and Saul tried to kill him on more than one occasion. David never lost his respect and, it seems, his love for Saul. We'll find out about that tomorrow. Hey, friends, we are going to Israel in March, the 12th through the 22nd, 2024. 
visiting all the special places. When you go to Israel and you walk into the city of Jerusalem, it's like an aura comes over you. The Bible says that Jerusalem is God's city. The Bible doesn't say that about any other city in the world but Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. And uh, you can't help but sense that when you're there. It's an amazing experience. If you haven't had that experience, why not sign up to go with us next year when in March we go to Israel? There's plenty of time for you to get reservations, but I need to tell you, this tour is filling up faster than any that we have ever announced. Uh, We are getting uh, over 100 reservations a week, and we're going to be out of room pretty soon. So don't wait. I hope that you will come and join us when we go to Israel next March. And uh, thank you again for being a part of today's lesson and for being a part of this series from the life of David. David teaches us a lot. He truly is a man for all seasons. And whatever it is you're going through, if you study his life, you will learn. And if you read his writings in the Psalms, you'll learn even more. God gave us David to help us navigate life. And uh, we appreciate David. Even with his failures, we learn. More about David tomorrow here on This Good Station. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Your notes of encouragement are always a blessing to us, so please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you struggling with jealous friends, unexpected temptations, or even big battles? These can be difficult to navigate. But Dr. David Jeremiah, through his study on King David in The Tender Warrior, teaches you what you can do when you face these situations. This month, when you give a gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you the complete two-part CD album, study guide set, and the God Shot devotional. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages. 
at turningpointplus.org. I can't remember when there have been more hotspots around the world at one time. There have been bigger events like world wars, but now we seem to have a multitude of smaller events that have the potential to grow larger. Geopolitical conflicts, diseases spreading, climate changes, and more. It would be easy to get discouraged, but there's every reason not to. You see, the Bible is filled with references to the sovereignty of God. He rules the nations and all their affairs as He fulfills His plans. Rather than fear the present or future, let us renew our faith in God, who is sovereign over all. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's sovereignty on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.